on episode 30 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about engineering risk with Gary Kaplan from AXA XL. InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific technologies we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Howdy and welcome, folks. Always good to have you listeners on board with us for another great episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast. This week, it's Crossover Week. That's right. We are doing a crossover with our other podcast, The Content Crew, because we interviewed a really, really awesome individual, Gary Kaplan from AXA XL. He's their construction chief, and he's done just amazing things in the insurance sector and the construction sector and uh, we, we had a really substantive conversation around insurance technology and around risk management, around his career and, and path at the world's largest P&C carrier uh, now with AXA, of course, acquiring XL Catlin. And you guys know that that acquisition. Uh, and uh, now it's AXA XL. I cannot wait for you to listen to this conversation that one of my co-hosts from the content crew and I, it's Rob McKinney. It's another Rob. And I had a fantastic conversation with Gary Kaplan. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, certainly next week, we will be back uh, with another fantastic episode of the InsureTech Geek. Here's our conversation with Gary. All right, and on to our interview, our guest, Mr. Gary Kaplan from AXA XL. Gary, again, thank you for joining us today and uh, glad you could uh, join in from beautiful, uh, summery, balmy Chicago. I'm actually in Naperville. There you go. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> yeah. So, Gary, you and I have got to know each other uh, reasonably well over the years. It's good to have you in the in the business and for you to be so involved both in construction and in insurance. You're you're one of those other guys like me who has a foot in both worlds. You know, I'm really involved in both construction and insurance. You are as well. You're involved in insuring construction, and you also have a heavy hand in in uh in tech before we talk about that i just want to talk about you where were you born and raised what did you see yourself doing as a uh, as a career and how'd you end up working for the world's largest bnc carrier that's been a long journey i uh i grew up uh, i I was born in chicago actually i never lived there Uh, i lived in the first suburb west of chicago called oak park went to oak park high school uh, i went 60 miles away to dekalb illinois northern illinois university uh, ended up with a degree in the chemistry of all things i was uh, really interested in science and math uh, when i graduated i f- needed to figure out how to do something more interesting than work in a lab so i took a job with a company called industrial risk insurers as a uh, chemical risk engineer and i crawled around refineries and petrochemical plants utilities coal mines platforms I did that for about nine years as a, as a risk engineer and then started to realize that the real money was in the underwriting side. So I made that transition into underwriting of, a, of a energy risks. Energy property was the first thing I started in. And they all blew up. I mean, you know, literally it was impossible to make money in that business. Uh, I, I think the insurance companies still struggle 
with uh, with uh, insuring uh, those kinds of risks because the losses are so catastrophic. The first risk I ever wrote was Phillips Petroleum in Pasadena, which was the biggest onshore loss ever. It was the first risk that I wrote. Wow. Great start. Great start. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. I, Way to go, I, uh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to bring the engineering focus into underwriting. It didn't really exist back then to the extent I think it needed to. So I did a lot of work building underwriting workstations and tools that would help underwriters get closer to the right price. We came up with this term called technical price. That was a, it was a long journey. Then I went into a bunch of well, Gary, home bef- office jobs. Before you keep going on that, I want to talk about that for just a second. Did you run into a lot of headwinds when you were trying to introduce the engineering mindset into underwriting? Was, were there a lot of guys that said, man, you don't understand insurance. Get, get out of here, Gary. Yeah, I was never a very popular guy. I mean, literally, because, you know, for me, it started. It, the transition was from cocktail napkins. That I, when I first started underwriting, I found cocktail napkins in the files. That's what people took their notes. That's what they... That's where they wrote down the price that came out of their head, things like that. And then, you know, early on, uh, we started to see Lotus 1, 2, 3, and then uh, Excel, and we started to build uh, pricing systems in those tools. Then uh, Lotus Notes came around. I built the first uh, underwriting workstation in the company in Lotus Notes. It was It was amazing. I mean, amazing at the time what you could do with that, how quickly you could you could change things in it. But it was un- you couldn't scale it up. So then we, we had a transition into the web environment, which was always difficult. I think mostly, most of the pricing still gets done in Excel because it's so fast and it's so perfect. But, but I, you know, I went into home office, did a bunch of weird home office jobs, a bunch of startups, started up the technical center. And then uh, I had a job called Strategic Initiatives Group. That was really, that was really an interesting job because I got to see the entire company. I went around to every underwriting unit and tried to help them get more profitable working with a group from McKinsey. I became the chief underwriting officer for a while. I was always kind of amazed that the, they put the worst performing underwriter in the whole company as the chief underwriting officer, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually did happen. And I, I did that for a number of years. Those were tough years. There was a lot of bad stuff going on when I had that job. We had the uh, Katrina, we had the Spitzer investigations. Uh, it, it was It was a rough, rough time. Uh, but I, I worked through that. And then I finally took a job. Uh, I was called the North American Hoot, Head of Operational Transformation. I always thought that was a cool name for a job, but it actually was the worst job I ever took. Uh, it was all about cutting expenses and and people's jobs. And uh, I said, I don't really want to do that. So um, I went to the CEO at the time and told him I hated my job. Our hardest thing I've ever done, basically, is admit that I was in the wrong job and tell a guy that, that, that you know, you put me in the wrong job. I hate it. I can't, I really don't want to come to work anymore, but it was the best thing I ever did. Cause he, he put me in charge of construction, which was awesome. I mean, I got back to the business side of the house. And at that time, uh, th- this was when I was at Zurich, we were the biggest insurer of, uh, of construction companies in North America and really in the world. And uh, I learned a lot in, the, in those couple of years that I worked there. It was, uh, it was an amazing experience to be back out with customers and, and construction customers are awesome. I mean, they all love the same things that I do. They like wine. They like, uh, they like really good food. They like to go to concerts. They like football games and golf. You know, I was like, this is a, this is the job for me, man. I love this stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I, I don't know, the company was changing at that point and uh, I was not in sync with where they were going. So I decided to get the heck out of there and, uh, 
and try to do something uh, in, a, in a new place. And I found Excel back then it was called Excel and Excel really didn't do much construction. It was, it was the perfect place to go and build a nine, nine lines focused business unit because I didn't have to take business from anybody else. You know, yep. I didn't really have any, yep. it was perfect. Uh, a woman that I worked with at, uh, at Zurich had just gone to work there as chief executive and she knew me. So I joined her and then we, we, we went on this growth path path that was unbelievable for the last 10 years. We grew about 40% a year average uh, since we started up at $0. And Monday, we will celebrate hitting $4 billion of gross written premium over that 10-year span. So it's a, it's going to be a big celebration uh, on Monday. That's all, all when- my offices will be will be going out virtually to parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big milestone though. I mean, 4 billion of gross written premium for a, for an area that really wasn't in existence. When you, when you got there, you were able to build an entire business line and, and really, and really do it from the ground up. Right. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's, that's, that's gotta be incredibly rewarding. Plus you through, uh, through all the, the acquisition, you know, XL, XL Catlin, AXA XL. Uh, now you're now you're part of the world's largest PNC carrier. I mean, that's 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 got to be exciting too to 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 really be um, operating at a global scale like you're doing now. Yeah, I've been through a few of those. I was at Home Insurance when Zurich bought them, so I went through that. Um, didn't go through many acquisitions in my 21 years at Zurich, but. Um, there wasn't really a lot of integration issues for us over the 10 years. You know, when we bought Catlin, they had, they had a, a professional pollution group and we had to merge those two together with, with ours. Uh, but then with, with the AXA transition, they weren't really in North America. So there wasn't much integration that we had to do. And literally things really didn't change very much other than our name. So, and, and I thought that would take a while for the name to catch on because it's not a, it's not a very recognizable brand in the U.S. It's the number one insurance brand in the world, but it isn't in the United States. So I thought it would take a longer time than it has to get the transition from XL to XL Catlin to XXL. There's a lot of X's in there. I'll tell you what, it's it's yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. It's, but uh, but anyway, I think that most people recognize, you know, since we kept the XL name in there, they recognize that AXA is now the new owner of. Of what used to be XL Catlin, so it, it really hasn't gone. It, it, it's it's caught on much quicker than I thought it would. Yeah, which does which isn't always the case, right? But what's the the total premium? One hundred and fifty three billion uh, for the yeah, whole company. It, it's a big company. Yeah, it's a big company. It's a so big company. There, there's a certainly a lot of clout there. That's awesome. So in all of that, uh, now by the way, side note, and you 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 touched on it briefly. We talked about your your professional career and. And how you've really been working on bringing an engineering mindset to underwriting and through product creation and insurance, and uh, and bringing engineers right into the middle of it. On a personal note, you really enjoy going to concerts. I, I'm I'm just fascinated. What are your top, if you just top two or three or four concerts you've ever been to since you've been yeah, to a really, lot? It's a really hard question to answer, and I, I get that a lot because I have been over 550 concerts. It's uh, I got a drawer down here that's full of all the ticket stubs and, you know, and people do ask me that a lot. I like rock and roll for sure. I go, I go to the extreme. I like blues and uh, I like, don't like jazz really. Don't like country at all. I'm sorry for you guys in the South, but uh, ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner is as country as I get. Yeah. Country rock. Yeah. That's it. 
Yeah, but uh, I would say the two nights in 77, I, I sat in the fourth row right in front of Jimmy Page at the, at the Chicago Stadium, and I got to see Zeppelin two nights in a row, and I, I remember him looking at us the second night like, weren't you guys here last night? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, th- those were pretty amazing shows. They used to play for three hours. I mean, Led Zeppelin was amazing. They really gave you your, your money's worth. Um, but uh, well, nobody plays know, my, for that my long. Favorite, my favorite show is uh, is Jeff Beck. I've seen him 32 times. I really love Jeff Beck. I think he's the most talented guitar player ever. Um, I I go in, into the prog world. I like bands like King Crimson and Porcupine Tree and stuff like that. It's uh, it's kind of a it, it's it's a genre where middle aged white guys tend to go. And uh, and I see all my uh, overweight friends there when I go to those shows. <laughs> Uh, I've seen ZZ Top the most times as a band. Uh, My first concert was actually the Beatles when I was nine years old. I went with my mother and my sister, and that was pretty amazing. Wow. So the first of 550 was the greatest rock band of all time. (laughs) <laughs> and, and the real, the real, real cool thing is the next show I went to, which was a year later when I was ten, was the Monkees. Because my sister liked, you know, she's four years older. She liked the Beatles and the Monkees, and that was it. And I found out years later that uh, Jimi Hendrix was actually the backup band for the Monkees on that tour <laughs> un- until a week before they came to Chicago, and they kicked him off because he was partying with the band too much. So I almost got to see Jimi Hendrix as my second show. I was that close, like one week away. Oh my gosh! I that would have been amazing. Yeah, there. Um, I, I, the, the there was a, uh, wait. It was when I saw you. I think I was actually in Nashville for your meeting, and there was at the 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 Ryman Auditorium. Uh, they had the Happy Together tour was going on, and I uh, I got in last minute, and they had the Turtles closed it all out. Oh wow! And uh, so, it it was gone with you. That that would have been good. It was. I know. I sh- I, did, I didn't even know what was going on. I was literally just walking around after our meetings, and I I was you know there, there was we had a whole day conference thing, and I I was walking around, and I and I, I heard, you know, so happy together. I mean, you know, and it's like what is going on? And I went in, and it <laughs> it was everyone who was still alive from uh, Three Dog Night and the turtles and like it was just like all these guys that used to tour together in the 60s and they were there it's the happy they do it every year happy together tour and wow. and it was uh it was a while I, I remember that so let's let's jump back uh and let rob uh, uh i know he's got some questions for you rob go ahead here one thing i'd like to go back to you talked about the beginning of your career and the transition from cocktail napkins into the rudimentary basics of software so Throughout your career, what would you say are the one or two most impactful pieces of technology you've seen really for the insurance and or construction space that really made yeah. a change? Yeah, it's, it's really funny reflecting back 41 years now. You know, I started, like I said, in the, in really highly protected risk. And back then, the technology was sprinkler systems and, you know, central stations and water flow alarms and, you know, smoke detectors and things like that. I mean, it was all analog, but, you know, it, it worked and it worked well. And spent a, I spent nine years trying to convince people to put that stuff in. I mean, there, the code sucked back then. And, you know, it was it was really up to us to sell people to make that kind of an investment. And uh, I think, uh, you know, over the years in construction, uh, you look at those pictures from when they built New York and how those guys are sitting on the steel. They still have them in the Marriott that I stay at all the time. I, I laugh every time I go there. And it's come a long way, you know, in construction, you know, people are required to be tied off now and, and people are required to wear gloves and hard hats and safety glasses and 
and now masks, you know, and social distancing and all that stuff. The stuff that's going on right now just is 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 floored is floored me. Um, I remember the first time I met you, James, was at the AGC conference somewhere. Maybe it was in New Orleans or something, and you were in the worst conference room ever. It looked oh. like a, in the it basement. Like it looked like something from a Vietnam, you know, yes. a, a medical camp or something. But I thought you were so interesting and uh, and you were so full of energy in your presentation. And, and you just blew me away with the kind of tech that was out there. I had no idea at that time at the extent of the changes that were coming in the tech for construction. I had been talking to a few companies, you know, at that point. It, it had piqued my interest. First one that, that came came to me was a call a company called weather analytics uh, they're called Athenium right now they're a really good partner of ours uh, they, they're helping us build that uh, that ecosystem work uh, and and then 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 i started to get this flood rob from you know from from the team that you were on with scott merchant and all those people the risk engineers were starting to see all kinds of stuff that was interesting it mostly was wearables back you know in, in 2017 uh, watches and, you know, belts and stuff to put on your hard hat and vests and all that stuff. And, you know, we'd have interviews with those companies and they just weren't very far along. You know, they weren't ready to, to be, uh, to be scale up to a, to a large contractor. So it kind of just kept meeting with them. Then I, then when I met James, I said, there's more to this than I know about. So we started to make uh, our, our customer council, the theme was always around innovation and technology. We've done that now for the last four years. So we, we tend to find the companies that we think uh, have the coolest technology that'll have the greatest impact across the nine lines of business that we insure. And we bring them to our customers, you know, at those customer council meetings. We had to cancel that in April, you know, we were supposed to go to South Carolina, that didn't happen. So uh, we did it virtually. And, uh, and we've been doing it now literally every, every two weeks. We have something called Tech Tapas, which uh, this engineer that works on my team, Rose Hall, does them for me. And we, we bring in a couple of the tech partners that are, that are in our ecosystem, and we have them do 20 minutes with, uh, with our customer council. So we're introducing more and more of, a, of what we think are the, the really groundbreaking uh, technologies to, to our customers, trying to get them to adopt. That's the... That's the big game for us. Yeah, and let's let's talk about that. Why do you care if they adopt technology? I mean, why not just be hands off? Obviously, I'm asking a little bit of a. I I, I think I know the answer here, but I want to hear you you say, you know, wh- why not just be a hands off carrier and say, you know what, just pay your premium. We'll pay a claim out if it comes in. Why do you care if they adopt technology? Yeah, it kind of goes back to my roots. You know, why did I care that they put sprinkler systems in and alarm systems? Because, you know, you have smaller losses, you have less buildings to get burned down, you know. And and for construction, you know, our, our value proposition's always been around uh, being the best at, at helping con- North America's top contractors successfully build and rebuild North America. And, and that specifically, that success thing is the thing that really is the why do we come to work? We, we need to help these people maximize every dollar that gets spent on construction. And, and if, if, we could ha- if we could put the technology out there that'll help them build better, safer, higher quality, better schedule, on budget, we'll maximize every single dollar that gets spent in construction at fixing this country. And, and there's a lot of money to be spent here in the next 10 years to, to get us to where we ought to be. We shouldn't have a D minus rating uh, on our infrastructure. 
it's it's ridiculous. The United States of America has a D minus rating on infrastructure. It's it's unacceptable. So I think tech's the answer. It's it's going to accomplish a lot of things. It's going to help them build better, more efficiently, uh, with higher quality. It's going to prevent incidents and accidents. It's going to help drive down the size of claims and the frequency of claims, which is really good for an insurance company and for a for a construction company well, or the owner. Sure. I mean, if they're self-insured retention or large deductible, I mean, they have a lot of their own money on, on the table as well. And uh, even even if they don't, you know, their rates are going to go up. You know, they're, they, they, I mean, there's consequences, right? There's consequences. And I, I say this regularly. The, the biggest bucket of money that gets sucked out of contractors is preventable mistakes, right? I mean, Texas A&M had, Texas A&M had um, a $485 million stadium they built. They had a single death. Uh, it was settled out of court for $53 million, $53 million. You know, I mean, it was and it was uh, it was an untethered worker falling to his death. It was a preventable mistake. They could have used technology to prevent it and it would have prevented a $53 million loss. And and that loss impacted certainly the carrier and all the clients. I mean, it impacted everybody and it, much less the, the 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 ethics and morals of of, of worker safety. Right. Um, it impacted that man's family in a deep way. And so there, you know, there, there's, there's, there's large consequences. Let's talk about just insurance in general and, and the role that, that insurance is playing. And, and I'm a, you know, I'm a pilot access in the aviation market. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that as pilots, they make you do. And then there's a lot of things that they give you better rates if you do uh, as far as training. And like right now, for example, carriers love simulator training. They're really encouraging pilots to go to sim training uh, because they know they can run through a lot more scenarios. That's a really great example of a carrier encouraging a use of a very high-end technology instead of actually they're encouraging it over training in the actual plane because of all the scenarios they can run you through in a simulator. And and it's what's interesting, and I want you to talk about the ecosystem for a minute. What you're doing, it appears to me, is putting together an ecosystem of technology providers and construction companies and connecting them, but not just connecting them so they can do business, connecting them so they can exchange data. And then you're using that to drive the cost of risk down at the same time as increasing their productivity. So talk to me about the genesis of this ecosystem and what it means for AXA XL and what it means for your clients. We've been on this data journey for my entire career, you know, trying to get the maximum out of the data that we collect as an insurance mm -hmm. company. And we do collect a lot of data. You know, you think of all the all the customers that we have and all the information that flows in. And, and we struggle. We have struggled for a long, long time to get really insightful information out of that data. And then along comes the the changes of the last two or three years, which has been really, really weird, where data sets are just getting thrown together. And, and ma magically, there's these insights coming out of those data sites, uh, sets, uh, data lakes, whatever, you, whatever the, all the terminology you guys have is. It's always interesting. How, how <laughs> new stuff comes every time I, I'm on one of these seminars. But yeah, the, the ecosystem, you know, really was, it's only two years ago when I heard that word for the first time uh, from a guy named Doug Alexander. He's in our IT department. And uh, I said, ecosystem, man, I took that it's senior year at Northern in, in uh, biochemistry. You know, I remember an ecosystem being something you talked about in biology. And I hadn't heard that term used very much until about two years later when he, he talked about it. So I didn't even know what it was. Uh, I, I knew this tech thing was going on. Uh, Doug thought that the construction team, because of our 
you know, singular focus on, on, on this industry would be a good place to start. I said, I'd love to do that. You know, we, we pulled a team together. We, we talked about what it might look like. It was really, really fun to, at that time because no one had a clue what this thing was going to turn into. I mean, literally, I wish I, I wish I knew, knew you back then because we probably would have gone faster. But uh, we did work through it and we figured out what we wanted it to be. Uh, and, and like you said, yeah, there's, there's sets of data that I kept thinking if we could pull these things together and, and match them up, we could get really unique insights that could be helpful to construction companies. Um, from the very, very beginning, we took a customer first, first kind of approach. Uh, we, we made everything we did, all the pilots that we did along the way, 90 day pilots, we always did with the customer, you know, we, and, and we had a process in place where we would pick the right customer, bring in the technology, try it out for 90 days, get some really good feedback, and then move from there. So we made it about the customer's problems, trying to figure out what, what they needed to solve, what issues that they had. And then this thing morphed into kind of a, a, a way of providing a very unique tool to a, a group of people at our insurance, the risk manager, the safety director, maybe the, the project superintendents where they could get a online real-time view of risk in their project portfolio. And that, that to me seemed to be so cool and cutting edge. You think about risk engineering, you know, Rob, when your time as a, as a risk engineer, my time as a risk engineer, you, you were just guessing where to go. I mean, you, you, data was not telling us which sites to go and, and visit, which customers to go ask more questions. So I, I started to see a way of really transforming the risk engineering group I have about 30 people that in, in that on that team. And if we could start to use the, the, the risk meters and the dashboards and the alerts that are coming through this ecosystem as a way of informing our risk engineering team where to spend those precious dollars to get on planes or go visit plants or, or even get on a call and talk to somebody right now, that would be really different. Uh, exceptionally more proactive in how to start utilizing very limited resources to try to maximize the success of a project. And the contractor has that very same issue. There's, there's only so many safety people, right? There's only so many superintendents. So if we could inform them through this uh, manipulation of data sets on where they should be really paying attention, we could start to impact the, the loss. We call it loss ratio, but it's the measure of success on on the insurance side of the house, we could drive those loss ratios down. In other words, reduce the number of claims and the size of claims so that, that, so that they could have lower insurance premiums, higher quality projects and more successful projects. Yeah. And it's, and it's, um, it's really an interesting position that, that AXA Excel is in because of the size and scope and scale of your organization and the size and scope and scale of your client organizations you can move knobs and and levers that almost nobody else can because what we're talking about is not just dramatically reducing risk and their cost of risk because uh, you're you're doing both um you're you're also talking about moving some needles on premium um if they if they choose to adopt these things and that's that gives contractors cuz I mean we I run into this all the time in, in our advisory role with contractors is the you know what's in it for me question that always comes up with contractors. What's in it for me? Why should I do this? Where's my return? The owner's just going to make me reduce my pricing if I implement this technology. And you're saying, hey, there's a, there's literally, there, there can be immediate return. And you're starting to see this in other lines of business, like like auto. 
you know, if you put this dongle in, plug it in your OBD2 port, and you let us collect data, if you're a good driver, then we're going to reduce your premiums by 20 or, you know, whatever whatever the percentage is that Allstate and State Farm are reducing premium by. So there's a precedent in insurance for reducing premium if people are willing to adopt better habits and connect their technology. It's already happening heavily in auto, somewhat in home. And it's really interesting to see you applying that concept to a much more complex space and building. Yep. It's going to, it's going to, I think it's going to be the new norm now for, for uh, the liability side of the house. The, the insurance marketplace is really hard right now. It's really difficult to place coverage for excess liability insurance driv- driven by the, what you talked about at Texas A&M or University of Texas, where you had that $53 million settlement that that's become kind of the new norm. They call it social inflation or nuclear verdicts, but it, it it's just in the last year become a phenomenon. And it, and it's in the price right now of excess insurance is way underpriced for everybody in the marketplace. So contractors are really struggling right now at, uh, at being able to place that, that amount of capacity that they used to have for the uh, liability exposure. I think that's being, well, it's being driven by, you know, accidents. It's being driven largely by auto exposure. So I, I, I think the telematics thing is going to come flying into this space really quickly. It has to. That's always the answer, James. When you know, when when the insurance companies can't make money or don't make money, you have to change something. And and just raising premiums not never the right answer. It has to be changing behaviors. It has to be convincing people to do stuff that that's good for them that, that they won't do without you pushing them. So that's the whole notion of. I used to have to talk people into putting in sprinkler systems, which is a no-brainer nowadays. We have to continue to. To, to try to convince construction companies to use this technology that's available because it's gonna they're gonna benefit. I've I've seen some of your cost benefit analysis. It you know it it, it pays for itself very quickly in months usually it, yeah. not not years. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It's it's and that that's just on the productivity savings. That's not including the big bucket of preventable mistakes. And that's why right. it's that's why it's so interesting because you're saying, look, this technology suite pays for itself just in productivity savings. Then look at all the mistakes you're not making anymore. And this you know, Rob spent years and years and years and years and years and years as a safety director right, walking around job sites and he he was in the preventable mistake world. Rob, I know you've got some thoughts on this. It's very interesting to hear about this ecosystem that you're building and I'm I'm very curious of your thoughts. The dive let's dive a little deeper on the future workflow for those risk engineers because in my prior life, as James pointed out, when I was a safety director, I had to physically drive to a job, walk around and look. When I was a risk engineer, you had to go and see do you think in the future, will you use more of that technology from your side to virtually walk jobs, to go through data sets of photos, of videos? How will the risk engineers really work with the contractors closely more through technology? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. We, we, well, we had a really interesting uh, workout in uh, February before all this stuff went down. I had all the risk engineers come into Chicago to, to do a workout. It's a, it's a GE practice where you spend two days, you try to vi- envision the future, you end with a few projects to do. And, and uh, I think they had maybe five or six projects that came out of that two-day session that were going to take all year to finish. But lo and behold, they finished them in the last 90 days because they were all at home. And, uh, you know, we, we've gotten so much work done. I mean, my, my backlog annually is about 50 projects. It, it's been like that for 10 years. 
almost half of them are gone and done. And, you know, we, we are way ahead because uh, literally all the risk engineers travel. You know, they, they have to go to see the customer. They have to go or they had to go see the customer. They had to go to the projects. And a lot of my underwriters travel, too, because, you know, we are very focused on our customers. We like to sit with them, and talk to them. So all of a sudden, I got all these people with all this extra time that are basically working from home using new technology. Thank God we just put Microsoft 2016 in with this with the uh, Teams thing. That was a lifesaver for us because it, it really works so well and, uh, and has allowed us to not miss a beat. Um, most of my people were working at home anyway. The risk engineers always worked from home, so that was that wasn't a new thing. But yeah, I think that uh, the ecosystem, you know, we, we've got we've got industry uh, benchmarking in there, dashboards. We've got alerts. If you think about it, if you get the right tech stack on a project, it's like having a risk engineer there 24/7. It's eyes and ears, and even your nose. I mean, with the with the uh, environmental sensors, right? I got, I got people out there sniffing stuff now, you know, I mean, literally the, the technology can do anything that a human can do. Now I could have the risk engineers become people that respond to what the data is telling them, you know, I mean, they could start to use things like smart vid IO, you know, where it tells you, you got wood ladders or you got people that aren't wearing their masks or you got people that are at elevated heights that aren't tied off. It could, uh, what is it called? Vinny, I think, is their Vinny. artificial intelligence, yeah. right? Their AI super. He, he, yeah, he prefers right. to be called Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, we we didn't intend this, but our, our soon-to-be artificial intelligence, maybe we're calling Tammy. So we kind of copied go. a little bit. Maybe it. Tammy and Vinny will get married. There yeah, you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We even got a cute little robot picture that uh, we're using to show it's Tammy. But I think you saw it the other day. Anyway, I, I do I really do think that risk engineering is going to change. I, I think the risk engineers are going to be incredibly more impactful because now they're using data. Which how how often did you get to use data as a safety guy or as a risk engineer? You know, not really, right? It was mostly about capturing data and creating data. Now 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 we at this point where we can get fed that data, and then yeah, I'm not going to have to fly to as many sites as I used to. I'm not going to have to do that. I mean, I think that the, the, the future is going to look very different when it comes to how we utilize people's time and energy. When the, and we're going to base it more on data than we have in the past. Well, Gary, I mean, look at, look at what's going on. I mean, and, and, and certainly, I, I'm a fan of looking at what's going on in, in the consumer and, uh, consumer and personal line space to look at what's going to happen in commercial lines. You can already, for, for many homeowners and, and auto policies, on your phone, collect data on the accident, and no one has to visit anymore, right? I mean, there's there's a substantially less amount, uh, uh, there, a fewer number of claims where insurance companies have to go on site to view it because now there's a ton of data collection technology to take photos and video and even scans of what's going on on a, on a claim site, whether it's a an auto accident or a or a home incident. And uh, then people don't have to travel out there anymore. I mean, there's, there's, it's just different. And when you look at the the sheer volume of technology and drones, and robotics, security cameras, I mean, heck, the new iPad that that is arriving at my office here in another couple of days has lidar baked into the iPad. You can now 3D scan um, just with your iPad, with the hardware included on the iPad. I mean, there, there's just a, a overwhelming sea of technologies that allow you to remotely collect the data that a person would have normally had to attend 
a job site in person to, to, to look at. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever, for my listeners out there who are concerned that, that, a, um, that no one's ever going to walk on a job site again, that, that's not what we're saying. We're just saying we can reduce the frequency of visits. <laughs> you still have to get eyes on every once in a while, but you can get uh, arguably uh, a lot more information when you snap into all the different data collection tools that are collecting data on the job site. I mean, just weather analysis, Gary, has been really interesting to see how that's completely changed. Uh, and then, you know, safety analysis, you know, the, 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 the analyzing every word that is said or written or spoken inside of a safety report and then analyzing it for context and tone and, you know, what's going on in those reports is a really big deal. Uh, there's some really great technology providers out there like like NoteVault, which actually just had a big exit that last week they sold. But, you know, NoteVault uh, does voice recording and then they analyze all these voice logs for all the activity that's going on and looking for things like hazard, error, issue, warning, problem, stuff that are an underwriter's dreams and a claim specialist dream. Um, so it's it's really interesting to me, like just the nature of people's daily jobs and how that's going to change too, Gary. You know, I mean, I think, you, yeah, you yeah, know, I agree. Even claims adjusters, you think about uh, I, I, we had a big hail storm last uh, Memorial Day. That's why those guys are out there painting my house right now. It took me a year to get them out here to fix it. Wow. We had this big hailstorm and State Farm showed up uh, one day, you know, two, two guys in a van. And um, I was I, I like to watch what they're doing, you know, I, I, just because I was an engineer for so long. I, I, I watched how they put the ladder on the gutter and how the guy clipped it in and had these special shoes to walk around on the tiles, you know, so he wouldn't slip off. The other guy walked around the outside of the house, I guess, checking the windowsills. And they, two of them went back in the trailer and 20 minutes later, they popped out and they had a 15 page report with everything in there and a check. And they had used satellite imagery to basically estimate the size of my house because yeah. I had a picture of it. And, you know, all they, it was basically a, a mobile office. They, they did the whole thing right there and on my driveway. And gave me a check, and I was like, "This is unbelievable! I've, I, you guys have come a long way." <laughs> and if you think that's even going to change more, I was watching something. Maybe is it drone deploy? Is that the sure the software company? Yes. The you know the the ability of now a, a, a claims adjuster to expect your roof. You don't have to go up there anymore. No. My my, my kid he, bought a drone this weekend, and he was checking out my roof. Would you? We just put. Put on from the hailstorm. It looked yeah. pretty good, you know? Yeah, Gary, you know, my very first gig in insurance was building software for roof inspections for carriers. I don't, I don't think I've ever told you that, but I, that was my very first gig was those RFO4 roof reports. And we were, we were I, th- I think that's what it was called. I, I, have, to, I have to wind back my, my brain about uh, 16, 17 years to 2004 when we built this inspection system. And my my friend that was on the project with me at the time, and I said, you know, in a few years, people aren't going to be climbing ladders to look at and look at roofs anymore. This is not relevant. And as, and as soon as the FAA allows non-line-of-sight drone flights, you're going to have claims adjusters who will literally be able to launch a drone and have it fly over, scan, come back, and then issue the, the check. And in many cases now, there's – and I read an article yesterday, Gary, that there are private satellites now over every square foot of the United States every day. In other words – we really aren't going to have to use drones for all of this because we have super high res satellites that can take a shot that day from that particular square foot of land. And then you can, you can do a lot of photogrammetry. So there's some really interesting things happening where I think you're going to get to like uh, either 
claims auto adjudication where it just automatically pays out. You know, like they'll they'll right. they'll they'll know there was a hailstorm. They'll do a satellite photo from the from the next day. They'll bring it in. They'll run the claim. They'll pay it out. I mean, it's it, and they'll be paid out electronically. It's going to be it's going to be wild. Rob, yeah, um, you know those sci-fi movies you see, like when they put some people on Mars or the moon, they always have a dome, right? Yeah. People always live in the dome. Yeah. <laughs> and the dome monitors everything that's going on. There's going to be a dome around this planet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there there is no place to hide. You know, the the imagery is going to be so good. That it'll be virtually impossible to rob a bank. Yeah. Well, Elon launched Elon launched more uh, more satellites uh, this week. His goal is to have thirty to forty thousand uh, Starlink satellites satellites around the planet, providing ultra high speed internet coverage. And I guarantee you, there's more sensors on those satellites than just uh, radio relays. I, 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 yeah. I guarantee. I guarantee you, there's probably a little cheap camera sitting on, or not so cheap camera sitting on every one of them. Rob, bring us home. Uh, what, what's your, what's your final, uh, your final thoughts or question? You know, what it sounds like what I'm hearing from Gary is with the use of new technology for the insurance space in regards to construction, you're, you know, you are reducing the overall frequency of physical visits, but you're increasing the focus to where you, when you do have those interaction points, you're bringing real value of saying, listen, here's what we're seeing in the data that you might want to take a look at versus when I was trying to be a safety director with paper-based forms and Excel spreadsheets, I spent hours trying to come up with relevant things to bring up to the team that just looked at me with eyes crossed. But now with the technology, you really can bring true value and show them, hey, here's some red flags you need to pay attention to because based on the models that you're building, you know when you're going to be paying out on losses. That's what it sounds yeah. like to me. It's pretty cool. I mean, you know, the, the we just rolled the uh, ecosystem out. We're piloting it with six of our best customers right now. But already in there, you know, at this early stage, we've got a, a big uh, claims database. It's literally every claim we've ever had. And, uh, and already the benchmarking that's coming out of that claim set with the other partners that we have in that ecosystem is groundbreaking risk engineering information that we never had in the past. You literally can now compare yourself to the whole rest of the industry. It could tell you which days of the week have uh, how old the employees are that have the worst losses each day of the week at what temperature. It, it's just amazing uh, the depth of the benchmarks that we've already built in there. And I could see that being a completely different uh, a way of having your, your toolbox talks. You know, you would know in your company that Mondays are the day somebody between 20 and 30 is going to get injured because the temperature is 90 degrees or higher. And it already is telling us that young people have more injuries in hot weather. Old people have more injuries in cold weather, which is pretty, that makes a lot lot of sense. But, you know, knowing things like that are really cool. Um, Rose gives a really good example of uh, if you have a building and you have the sensors in there, and and you, and you know that uh, all of a sudden one of the sensors tell you you have high humidity. Now you have the project management software that tells you that that building has not been enclosed. Yep. And you have the weather information that tells you that it's raining. You, you, you kind of don't even need to respond to the sensor because you know that there's water in there because it's raining. That's the kind of insights. Uh, if this, then that, I think they call it. There's a, there's a, there's a software <laughs> yeah. company that, that we, we met when we did the ecosystem work that was really cool. But that's the logic that we have to keep thinking about. You know, How do we compare these, uh, these data sets now that are in the data lake to give us insights that can help the, the the contractor be more successful yeah gary you know i we we, we interviewed i interviewed a, 
group uh, went water intelligence and they they use uh, pretty standard flow sensors uh, at the head end of every floor of a building and right. they they just measure how much water and they can actually so they're not they're not they're not going into every place that water comes out they're just going into the the main standpipe the main area in every floor and they're snapping into one place and measuring water flow and they depending on the type of water flow they can tell if it's a toilet leaking or a sink somewhere on that floor they don't know where on the floor but they can say on the third floor you have a leaky toilet right and because they know through machine learning they've been able to to look at millions of different instances of water leaks and of course as you know water is a huge problem on claims huge 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 water destroys water destroys buildings faster than just about anything and uh and and so it's really interesting that it doesn't require a ton of hardware it requires some really really good software we, yep, they're, they're, they're a partner in the ecosystem. We love those guys. Yeah, yeah, I do yep. too. They're, they're incredible. Great discussion this week. And, Gary, thank you so much for joining us today to talk to about AXA XL and what's going on with the construction ecosystem and connecting risk and technology and construction together. And, and certainly uh, th- thanks for the conversation and thanks for all the work you do in the industry. Yep, it was good, t- good talking to you guys. Appreciate the invite. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge. It's jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, jamesbenham.com, with my guest co-host this week, Rob McKinney. Thank you to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonara, our creative producer, and Adele Waldeck, our transcriptionist. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time. <laughs>